Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Amen. Awesome. Well, good morning, you guys. It's good to be with you this morning in a different kind of way. So usually I'm behind the guitar, but this morning I get to open up the scriptures with you and I'm just thrilled about it. Um, So we are closing down our Life of David series that we've been in for over a year. Can you believe that, you guys? So we have been studying 1st and 2nd Samuel. You guys have made it through two entire books of the Old Testament. And I wanted to say to you, well done. Well done. Not every church can power through and get through two whole books like that just consecutively. So good job. Um, we've, had, we've heard actually two different sermons before this that's kind of wrapping up this series. And so I love this. We've gotten to hear from Jeff as he walked through David's final words in 2 Samuel uh, 23. And we got to hear last week from Chase as he wrapped up kind of the narrative of what happened with David's story in chapter 24. And uh, what did we see there? We saw David falling into sin again and then quickly moving to repentance and trust in his God. And so um, in both of those, we saw the need for Christ's atonement. And this morning I get to open up uh, chapter 22 with you, which is David's final song, his swan song, if you will. And so it just seems fitting to take three weeks, right, to wrap up this series that we've been in for over a year and really reflect on David, the man after God's own heart, but more so to reflect on God and his heart for us. And so today, if there's anything I want you guys to glean from this morning and maybe even this entire series, it's this. I'm gonna give it away right now, right at the top. The God of David... This everlasting, covenant-keeping, all-powerful, prayer-answering, miracle-making, enemy-shattering, tender-hearted, terrifying in judgment, full of mercy, full of grace, hesed-wielding God is our God, too. And he's equipping us not for battles of flesh and blood, but for very real and present spiritual warfare. You see, David experienced mighty and miraculous victory over his enemies in his sin. But my friends, it was just a dim shadow of the victory that has become ours in Christ Jesus. David's life is about God's promise. And if you doubt my words here, flip your Bibles open to the Psalms and take a look at how many of those Psalms are written about David giving credit to God for every nook and cranny of his life, right? God kept his promise to David, raising him up from that lowly shepherd boy to that mighty warrior king that we've seen in this graphic as we've looked at over the last year. And from there, would sprout a seed, 
giving life to another warrior king, not over just nations, but over all of creation. Our God is like no other, and he is worthy of our praise. He's a promise keeper, and he loves beyond measure. Friends, he loves you beyond measure. And this is what we're unpacking this morning in 2 Samuel 22. Are you guys ready for this? Okay. Well, I'm pumped. These are song lyrics. Uh, David wrote this uh, for the harp. I don't play harp, but I admire guys who do. I think it's pretty amazing. Um, These 51 verses are powerful. These are also almost verbatim in Psalm 18, which is cool. God's preserved these words in two places in scripture. And in these words, we're gonna see what passionate prayer-filled worship looks like. We're gonna marvel at the power and mystery and mighty justice of Yahweh. And we'll see how David's life aims our hearts toward Jesus. And that the love of God is like a heat-seeking missile relentlessly hunting down its target, our hearts, and it's sure to hit its mark. Oh God, would we know that kind of love this morning? Set our hearts ablaze. That's our prayer as we prepare for Easter Sunday. So I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel 22, and let's begin. This is a long text, and so we're not gonna have time to unpack everything. And the way I'm gonna preach through it this morning is we're gonna kinda take some verses, and I'm gonna reflect on them, okay? And so you're gonna have to follow along pretty quickly. David here is tapping back into some artistry. We're gonna hear imagery and hyperbole, which means not every phrase in this song is literal, but every word uttered is truth, okay? So we're gonna move fast and glean what we can for today. Let me set up some ground rules for this morning. I want you guys to kind of like sit up in your seats and move forward because this is powerful stuff that we're reading here. I want you to wake up and listen to the word of God as we read it together. Not my words, but God's words. And if you agree with something, if there's praise stirring up in your heart because of the truth that's being read this morning, let's just not be afraid to agree in this, in this space together. We can say yes, amen, mm, that's good. Whatever's fitting, right? Okay, four movements. We're gonna go through this chapter in four movements. So for you note takers, here they are in advance. Movement one, powerful and prayer-filled praise. All right, verses one through four. Movement two is gonna be divine deliverance, verses five through 20. Movement three, clear and confident conscience, verses 21 through 28. And four, prophetic praise and promise, verses 29 through 51. Pray with me for a minute before we dive into this text. Oh God, would we see you clearly in your word this morning? Would you guide us? Would you open our hearts to hear these words as truth this morning? And God, would you guide me as I speak about your word? Less of me and more of you. You are so worthy of our praise. Thank you for Jesus, amen. All right, guys, powerful and prayer-filled praise, movement one. Let's look at verse one. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, 
my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. David is looking at a particular part of his story here. We see that he spoke these words to the Lord after considering all of his victories. David opens this song with an explosion of praise and adoration, right? And it's personal. Look at your Bibles. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior, right? David is calling God, my God. And when David looks back at the bear and the lion and upon Goliath and Saul's spear and the armies upon his own son Absalom and all the evil that tried to take him down, as he looks at all the sin that marked his life, all that David can see is God's protection and he explodes in praise and adoration. Now I want you to take notice of one word in verse four, the word call. It's present tense, I call upon the Lord. And why does he call? Because God is the only one who can save and the only one worthy to be praised. David knows this very well. We'll talk about this more in a bit, but friends, do you present tense call on the Lord? Has he rescued you? Is he rescuing you today from your enemies? Do you describe God the way David does? A rock, a refuge, a shield, your salvation, worthy to be praised? Or are you clinging to the things of this world? Are you clinging to your own rock? Because that's what the world preaches to us. You do you, cling to your own rock. You be your own fortress. These are not the words of David. So we might define powerful praise as this. Powerful praise is when we ascribe or we give credit to God in our hearts by declaring with our mouths what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us. That's powerful and prayer-filled praise. David gives all the credit and recognizes something very key here. I call out to my God who is worthy of declaring out loud who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. This is powerful and prayer-filled praise. Christian, we are called to bring God powerful praise. All right, movement two, divine deliverance. This is gonna be the longest movement of the song, so we'll move through it rather quickly. In this section, we're gonna see David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, as he described as he was described in chapter 23, go to town on some powerful imagery here, all right? He's gonna, he's gonna be acting like a hip hop artist who's drawing from the streets or maybe like a Dylan or Bono who's drawing from historical moments and conjuring up language that moves the soul. David does his best here to, to describe just what he was delivered from and just what the God who delivered him is like. Listen to some of this language, picking up in verse five. 
for the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. And here it is again, you guys, this powerful prayer. I called. When? In my distress. And to who? My God. This is a personal I called to my God. Let me ask you this. When do you guys most often pray to the Lord? Is it when things get messy and chaotic and crazy and it feels like the bottom's dropping out? I bet it is. I'm there with you. And I think some Christians feel guilty for this. They feel guilty like, I only call out to God when things are hard. Well, this is David's language. He's not ashamed of it. He's secure in calling on the only one he knows can bring deliverance. Christian, can I say this to you? Don't ever feel guilty for calling out to God in the midst of crisis and chaos. You have a God who listens and who loves to deliver you from your trouble. Yes, listen to this. Verse seven, from his temple, this is God now, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. So here's David, waves of death, torrents of destruction assailing him, is bound, he's bound by cords, stuck in traps, very near death. Not just one hard day, but an entire lifetime of hard days, right? This man was pursued relentlessly by his enemies. Sin cycles over and over, and David cries out, and God hears the call. And what does God do? Get ready. Verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals of flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down and thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. And out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. You guys, God answered in power. Verse 15, and he sent arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Has anybody been there before? He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. And he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Wow. It's almost too much to take in, right? You just like wanna go back to the top of this section and read it again and take in all this imagery and try to wrap your brain around it. 
It's a, it's a good song, right? That's what makes a good song. You wanna go back and listen to it again because you didn't get it the first time. Well, I'll leave that to you guys. You guys can go back and listen to this good song on your own time. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So what do we learn here about divine deliverance? I wanna give you three things that we learn about divine deliverance. Number one, when the enemy attacks, we cry out. When the enemy attacks, we cry out. Now you might be saying, okay, Chris, I get it. Uh, you know, I, I hear this about David, but I just, I don't relate. David had these kings and armies pursuing his life. He was fleeing into caves. That doesn't feel like my life. I don't really relate. And I would say to you, you do have enemies. You have very real and present enemies. Listen to Paul as he writes in his letter to the Ephesians, who've become complacent in standing guard over their faith. Paul's final words to the church in Ephesus were about warfare and about a very real enemy that we face. So let's look at this text. In verse 10, Paul says to the Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Hello, there's an enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Whoa, that's an enemy. You guys, we face very real enemies every moment of every day. They're not flesh and blood. They're not national armies or kings, at least where we live, but they're spiritual forces. Paul is describing here a very real spiritual version of the evil forces we face. And I know this book and this movie is so referenced, but I always think of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings when I think about the spiritual battle. I think about those demonic looking orcs that are just overtaking Middle-earth, drooling and, and look, they're bloodthirsty and they're looking to devour something. They're taking orders from their spiritual leaders, Sauron and Sauron, and they're seeking to destroy Middle-earth and take it back. The enemy is seeking to take our Middle-earth, our hearts. Our enemy is described like a roaring lion prowling and seeking someone to devour. Our enemy, let me be very clear, is Satan and his demonic host. The battle is real. That's a lot about our enemy. But who do we have on our side? Number two, when we cry out, God responds. When we cry out, God responds. Verse seven again, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. And what comes next is nothing short of terrifying. It's an earth-shaking, fire-breathing, nostril-smoking, lightning-filled, thunder-booming response from our Lord. The Most High utters his voice. And his voice spoke into existence all, all of the defeat of David's enemies. There are three other places in scripture I would like to draw our attention to that mentions this kind of earth-shaking response from our Lord. Do you guys remember Mount Sinai in the time of Moses? So Moses goes up this mountain. He's to hear from God, to hear the law, 
and bring it back to the people. And as he goes up on this mountain, it becomes enveloped by clouds of smoke. Did we just hear that kind of language? Clouds of smoke, lightning and thunder were actually literally happening over this mountain as God spoke to Moses and the people could hear it. It must've been terrifying. The earth shook as God spoke. Or how about this story, Peter and Silas in the New Testament. After Jesus was resurrected from the dead, they're out preaching and they actually get imprisoned for preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And in the middle of the night, amongst their fellow prisoners and amongst the jail guards, they cry out. And how do they cry out? In prayerful praise, in song, out loud, you guys, not just in their hearts. And what happened? The ground shook and the gates opened. Even the jailer and the jailer's family were saved. How about one more? When Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, the scriptures say that there was a powerful earthquake. In Matthew, the scripture says this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, there that term is again, when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. Wow. God responds with power when the enemy messes with his chosen. And they cry out for deliverance, even Our Lord Jesus cried out, you guys. Do you remember? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when he gave up his spirit, God answered definitively. Number three, God's terrifying blow to the enemy is about his love on display for us. God's terrifying blow to the enemy is about his love on display for us. Mothers and fathers, speak to you for a minute here. You know this kind of love. Is there nothing you wouldn't do to protect your child when they cry out in danger? The most terrified yet protected I ever felt was a day when my dad, my earthly father, threw down on one of my enemies as a teen. Let me tell you the story. I've been gifted this brand new skateboard. Now this is the kind of skateboard you had to go to the skate shop to get and you picked it out like nut and bolt by bolt and the board and the wheels and everything, right? $170 of pure joy for a middle school boy. And I bring this thing home and I go and I skate with my friends to the local elementary school. And while we're skating, you know, in my time when we were skating, there were like these kind of turf wars. The enemies of the skaters came to the school and they see us skateboarding and this turf war kind of starts happening. We're shouting words and just, you know, it's fairly innocent, just like teasing each other. Well, this gang goes back into a house. They come out and I'm not joking, you guys, with baseball bats and broomsticks and they start chasing us. And middle school Chris is like, hey, this is my new skateboard. Ah! And I hit a rock, the skateboard stays and I just keep running. And oh my gosh, my heart was just breaking. I'm like, the skateboard's gone, it's gone. And I get all the way home, I'm in tears. I break open the door. I'm literally crying out to my dad, telling him what happened. And before I could even get it out of my mouth, he's like, get in the truck, he grabs his keys. We get in the truck, we drive up to the school, just in time to see this gang of kids walking away. And my dad gets out of the truck and you guys, I've never heard this kind of voice come from my dad. He's just, hey! 
get back here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm terrified. As I hear my dad speaking like this, I'm like slumping down in the truck. I'm a little afraid dad's gotten himself into too much. And they, they're running still. My dad starts running after them. Hey, you get back here right now. And he's using words I can't repeat here. It was terrifying. It was like smoke and nostrils and fire and everything. And do you know what happened? The kids turned around and they start coming back to my dad. And I don't know what my dad said to the leader of those kids that day, but it had to be something terrifying because their leader walks up to me beside the truck, hands me $175 in cash. I'm not kidding. I don't know where he got it from. It was all ones. Gives me this money and says, I assure you, I will get your skateboard back to you by the end of the day. Where's your house? And I'm like, don't tell him where our house is, dad. And he's like, no, it's, this is cool. This is, this is how we're doing it. So, and, and he held up on his word, you guys. My enemy literally brought the skateboard back. I gave him the cash back in exchange. I never heard a peep from those kids again. Not once. You guys, I was rescued by my father. And why? Because he delighted in me. My dad went to war with my enemies because he loved me. This is God's love for you. He goes to war with our enemies. And it was his strength and my father's power that brought me into safety that day. Verse 20, look at this in your Bibles again. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you know God's delight in you? Do you know his love? All right, movement three. We're gonna shift gears a little bit. This one's called clear and confident conscience. This next section of David's song might bring up a bit of confusion for you. And we don't have time to do a deep dive here, but we're gonna take a look and see if we can make some sense of this. So David here confidently proclaims a clear conscience. Verse 21, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. Wait a second. Isn't this the guy that we just spent the last several months seeing the mess of his sin? How is it that David can say this? And the best we can do here is theologians and commentaries help us to see that David's language here is speaking more about long obedience to God and not necessarily just his missteps and mishaps. After all, let's consider this. Didn't David remain faithful to keep God's law with passion and gusto, even when his life was severely threatened three times over? With Saul, Absalom, and Sheba, he didn't take matters into his own hands here, but rather waiting on the Lord to carry out promises and plans for the anointed king. He didn't throw the spear back at Saul. He had him. He could have. He didn't apostatize when he was pursued for years by Saul hiding in caves. 
He held fast to God's promise to keep him as king. This is a long obedience, you guys. He knew that he was God's anointed king and that the covenant-keeping God would deliver on his word. And oh, did David know how to repent. Yes, his life was marked by much sin, but it was also marked by powerful repentance because he was confident in a clear conscience only in God. He's not glossing over his sin here, but rather magnifying God's power to cleanse him. He always came to God and humbled himself. Verse 23, we'll read some more. For all his rules were before me and from, and from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness in his sight. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. And with the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them down. David understood righteousness in God because God was covering his sin. David didn't hold, or David did hold fast to God's law. Even though he stumbled and tripped, he didn't fall headlong. He always returned to the one who could keep him safe. He always clung to God for all his days. He knew God's law, not just cerebrally, but he knew it in his chest. Do you guys remember last week when we were closing the book and he sins yet again. There's this one verse that just says his heart struck him. David knew his sin, but he also knew where to go with it. He knew how to draw near to God and repent and receive forgiveness. If a man who committed adultery and murder could have this kind of conscience in the Lord and this kind of confidence in the Lord, isn't that great encouragement to us? Right, so we too can take confidence in a clear conscience because of the atoning work of Christ. If you need more on the atoning work of Christ, go back and listen to the last two messages. Powerful, powerful words about the atonement of Christ. And come back next week because we're gonna learn all about it on Easter Sunday. This is good news, you guys. All right, movement four, the last and final movement, prophetic praise and promise. Verse 29, you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God, lightens my darkness. You are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. You guys, David literally slept in caves for years. This is before power, before we have cell phones, any form of light, right? So when he says, you are a lamp that lights my darkness, I can't help but think he's thinking about those caves and what a simple version of a lamp might do to that cave, bringing comfort bringing hope in that dark place. The only way he can see and survive, his only source of comfort and warmth. God, would you warm our hearts like this today? Would you enlighten the dark places in our lives? Verse 30, for by you I can run against a troop and by my God I can leap over a wall. God gave David everything he needed to defeat his enemies. He didn't have to run from them anymore. He could actually run toward them and leap over any barrier the enemy would try to use. 
Verse 31, this God, this God, I love it, pause. His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He's a shield for all those who take refuge in him. What a statement. There's no other way but God's. And his word always proves true. We can count on that, you guys. That's prophetic praise and promise. We can count on this. Verse 32, for who is God but the Lord? Isn't that a weird statement? Who is God but the Lord? Who is God but everything we just described? And who is a rock except our God? Where else can I put my feet? Surely it's only on the promise of God. Can God be likened to anything else we know? Is there any other sure place to rest our feet? The answer is no. You guys got it. Good job. You passed the test. Verse 33. This God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. You see, David knew God loved him with a fierce love. This is David's identity. Not all the sin, not all the battles, not all the armies. God underst- or David understood one thing about God, that he loved him fiercely. God was David's strong refuge, the only one who could bring him to a place of righteousness. And I'm convinced this is why David made it through. This is why David was able to get through the attacks. This is why David was able to confront his sin and weep no more because he understood the profoundness of God's love for him. Verse 34, he made my feet like the feet of a deer. He set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. David ascribing his strength to God here. Where does your strength come from? Where do you ascribe your strength and skill? Does it not come from God who trains our hands and supplies every breath that we breathe? We can echo David's song here. Verse 36, you have given me the shield of your salvation and your gentleness has made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and did not turn back until they were consumed. These are interesting three verses here. David shifts from you, God, you, you, Lord, you did it, you do it, to I, I pursued my enemies and destroyed them. What's going on here? David's describing a divine partnership here. It's not like a sudden memory lapse, like, oh yeah, God, you're great and everything, but I got the victory. He's acknowledging that God worked in and through him to bring about these defeats. It was David who ultimately led his army to victory, but it was in and through the strength of God. This is also such a profound and prophetic statement of what Jesus would do for our enemy of sin and death once and for all as he pursued our greatest enemy, Satan, on the cross and destroyed him. Verse 39, I consumed them. I thrust them through so that they did not rise. They fell under my feet. 
For you equipped me with strength for battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me and I destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer. You guys, the fate of our great enemy is eternal separation from God's power to save. He can't be saved. That's the fate of our enemy, Satan. God will not answer him. This is terrifying for those who find themselves on the wrong side. Don't find yourself looking and searching and crying out with no one to save you. If Jesus is calling you today, this morning, listen to his voice and follow him. He is your great rescue and your deliverance. God's enemies will be crushed. Listen to David's words here and think about Jesus. Verse 43, I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. Then back to ascribing to God. You delivered me from my strife with my people and you kept me as the head of nations. People whom I had not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. You guys, the nations were submitting to David's rule, even foreigners. God's power was on display through David. And this is a picture of King Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. Verse 47. Catch this one. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. Oh man, do you think that David knew the power of his words here when he uttered these and when he penned them? Verse 47 is all about Jesus. The Lord lives. Jesus lives. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our salvation. Go back and read Moses' song sometime. It has a lot to do with the rock. Do you remember Moses' story? He struck the rock and water came out and then he struck it again, but this time he got all grumpy about it and he sinned because he was taking the credit. Life came from a rock. We saw that in Moses' song. Here's David saying, you are my rock. And Jesus, later on, man, he delivers on that prophetic promise. He is the rock. He's the only source. Verse 48, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies. You exalted me above those who rose against me and you delivered me from men of violence. David was given great victory over his enemies and even more so, Jesus was given the greatest victory of all when he was raised from the dead after his enemies hung him on the cursed tree. Jesus is now, right now, exalted above, far above at the right hand of God. He's alive. And this final prophetic stanza rings out for generations to hear. We hear these words today and we join David in praise. Verse 50, 
For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praise to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. You guys, what is our response to all of this? Can we not join David in praise out loud with our mouths? We must cry out when we consider God's incredible faithfulness to David. Why? Because we're experiencing right now the very promise mentioned in, chapter, in verse 51. Steadfast love came to us through the seed of David. He's talking about Jesus here. Steadfast love came to us in Christ. This is the seed. And here we are generations later. So surely we can praise God in song. It's not the only way. But here's this incredible song tucked at the end of David's life and many more in the Psalms. You don't have to write your own song. These are written down in scripture for you guys. These are the holy scriptures preserved from generation to generation that you might know the redemption power of God. As we close, let me ask you this. Has God delivered you from your enemies? Is he your safe place, your strong tower? Has he answered you when you called out? Well, then praise him. If you've never cried out to God for rescue, I implore you to do it now. He's here, he's ready to answer. He's ready to bring you deliverance from your sin, from your enemies and from, your, and from death. And if that's you this morning, maybe you're watching or maybe you're here in this room, we would love more than anything to talk with you about that and to pray with you. If you need to call on Jesus for rescue this morning, let us know. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for these words, the song of David this morning. Thank you for the way we see your faithfulness to a man who did his very best to follow you who fell short at times in really, really messy ways, but understood that you were always his rock, always his safe place, always his fortress. God, you loved David so much. We've seen it on display for two entire books. And I can't help but think that's just because you want us to know how much you love us. So Father, help us know how much you love us. Do that in our hearts this morning, we pray. Through the power of your word, the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us for this redemption sermon. For more resources and information about Redemption Church, visit redemptionokc.com and follow us on social media.